welcome to the 905er podcast. I'm Roland Tanner. I am Joel McLeod. And we have the second of our interviews with prominent 905 region candidates today, and we're talking with Adam Vancouverden uh, from the Liberal Party of Canada. Uh, Adam uh, was a household name in Canada long before he ran for Parliament. Uh, he won an Olympic gold and multiple other uh, Olympic medals in sprint kayak. And he grew up in Halton region and has said that joining Burlock Canoe Club was the turning point in a potentially troubled teenager, turning someone into someone who with an Olympic champion and serious uh, career at a young age. So Adam is seeking re-election now as MP for Milton, a seat he took from the CPC's most prominent, uh, one of the CPC's most prominent MPs and former ministers, Lisa Raitt, in 2019. Since entering Parliament, he's played an active role in advocating for youth and seniors' issues, promoting active living, improving environmental sustainability, and combating climate change. Uh, welcome, Adam. Thanks very much. It's nice to be here. Thanks for having me on your show. Uh, so we, we're focusing on, on a few areas kind of that we that we think are important to the 905 region, and we'll get on to those in a second. Um Certainly, you know, the environment, um, housing, things like this have, have been quite prominent in this campaign. Uh, I thought I'd start off with just a quick question about running for your second time. And, you know, kind of slightly cheeky question. Do you think this would be easier if there'd been electoral reform in 2015, that you would, you, <laughs> you would now be looking at a very different election? Uh, I don't know. The, the problem with electoral reform is that of all the people that I've spoken to who are huge advocates for it, all and each have a different idea of what that looks like. And electoral reform is a big is a big term uh, that means many different things to many different people. Uh, so I suppose it depends. Um, but I'm also a big believer in two things. Um, one, that it's important to win if you want to get to Ottawa. I think it's important that you're elected. And, you know, I might show my stripes a little bit uh, with respect to my my views on, uh, on, other, on other levels of, uh, of the government, if you know what I mean. I don't, I'm not going to get into that. But I do really think it's important to get elected and to win an election. Uh, in Canada, there are 338 elections. I don't need to tell you guys that. It's not just one. And I do appreciate that people send individual representatives up to Ottawa to do that work for them. And it's not this, the, the case that we vote for, you know, just a party or, or a prime minister or a leader. Um, but I also really believe in, in the notion of, of representation and the importance of having somebody local uh, that's a voice for you and your priorities. Um, I tell people all the time that you know, I don't work for the Liberal Party. I don't work for the Prime Minister. I work for my voters. And, you know, I chose the Liberal Party because I believe strongly that there are good ideas in the left and there's good ideas in the right. And that it's uh, it's an incumbent responsibility of mine to work with everybody and to find solutions that work for everyone. Um, so, you know, the issue of electoral reform comes up sometimes at the doors. Um, you know, don't want to open that can of worms necessarily. Um, but I think it's important that, uh, that the people who are up in Ottawa are, are elected to get up there. And, and I was proud to, to be elected in 2019. And I hope to do the same now, uh, in 2021. Um, it was the, the honor and privilege of, of my life. And, uh, you know, I'm also a big believer of playing the game as it is and not, you know, blaming the results of the game on the rules that were there. And we have the rules. We know what the rules are. And certainly we can talk about whether or not they should change. But uh, blaming the outcome of the game on on the established rules. Um, you know, I suppose I'm an athlete, so maybe that's my personal opinion. Um, but that's where I stand on that one. I, I 
it's a it's a it's a hobby of mine but so i won't uh go too far down the road with, with that one because there's so many other issues we need to talk about as well but um well let's turn to to the environment and you know the one of the more difficult things of, of um not one of the one of one of the things that comes with being in government is that you have to defend a record as well as say what you're going to do and you're the only one ever involved in, a, in an election that has to do that and Obviously, the environment is, is huge. It's the first election, I believe, where the three main parties are all kind of on board with some form of tax uh, carbon pricing. And you know, the, the 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 main one of the main criticisms that's been leveled with liberals as well. Yeah, you introduced uh, carbon pricing on those provinces that didn't already have it. But what about that? You're you're kind of sucking and blowing at the same time because you're also buying a, a pipeline. Uh, how how do you square that that uh, that circle? You know, it's interesting because I think the the NDP often says you you bought a pipeline, but then they advocate for retaining all sorts of other public infrastructure. Um, so I, I always find it interesting when the NDP you know blame the government uh, on the environmental side for buying a pipeline, um, but then also say so say at the same time that the government should should buy and retain a lot of uh, public infrastructure. It is public infrastructure. Uh, we still re- rely on on fossil fuels and and oil and gas in Canada. So um, I won't. I don't need to defend the the prime minister's decision. Uh, it's something that happened uh, years ago, and um, it's not how I'm going to fight fight climate change. Fighting that decision is not going to be how I fight climate change here in Milton. The way that I fight climate change here in Milton is by ensuring that bills like Bill C12 get passed, and it did. That was the most ambitious environmental legislation ever passed in Canada. Um, but also the Canadian Environmental Protection Act is uh, is another very, very ambitious plan to protect way, way more natural land uh, in Canada than any previous government. In t- 2015, when, when the Liberals were elected, less than 1% of Canada's land mass was protected. And at that point, they, they made a, an ambition to protect 25% of it by 2025. And it's 2021 and 14% of Canada's land mass is, is now protected. And the next goal is to protect 30% of it by 2030. And, uh, you know, it's it's a convenient scheme, the, the way the numbers work out, but it's an achievable goal. And it's one that will do a tremendous amount to ensure that we're doing everything that we can in Canada and being really good stewards for our natural environment in Canada. Uh, some of the local work that I'm really proud of is ensuring that Conservation Halton can continue to do their very important work on, on, uh, on climate change mitigation and resiliency strategies that they do. They also do a lot of species at risk work locally that's important. Um, but we also partnered up for our tree planting program, and I relied on Conservation Halton to apply for and then plant over 50,000 trees here in the Halton region over the past couple of months. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of people suggested that maybe 50,000 trees over five years would be ambitious, but Conservation Halton got them all in the ground. So that's part of our two billion tree ambition and initiative. And I'm proud that we've got trees going in the ground right here in Milton uh, to help get us to that big two billion number in the next uh, in the next decade. Um, on on that note, uh, we, we've also spoken with a, a, a representative from Environmental Defense just to get a background on on the importance of climate change in this election. And one of the, the other factors that he was that we were that was mentioned in our discussion with him was the importance of getting the housing strategy right because of the fact that in the 905, we for decades we just kept building out. We just kept building increasing the sprawl and and just kept spreading spreading out. Other interesting factor at the start of this election was how housing strategy became such an important part of the national dialogue. 
And I understand that I'm going to, I'm going to give the floor over to you, Adam, and maybe just kind of give us what the, the liberal, where the, where the liberal priorities in terms of the housing strategy is to address that. Absolutely. Well, I think the reason why the, 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 the housing strategy is linked to our environmental policies uh, are because buildings and homes are large emitters of fossil fu- of, of, of carbon emissions, uh, and they, they use a lot of fossil fuels. And, and that's certainly the case here in Milton, uh, because we still have uh, quite a lot of you know, rural areas that uh, don't have access to, to natural gas. Uh, so they have to use home heating oil to, uh, to heat their homes. Uh, and, you know, the Canadian climate is such that in the summer we use air conditioning and then it's only a couple of weeks before we turn on our heating, uh, just because we're kind of a country of extreme temperatures uh, now. So the way that homes are built and, and building them efficiently really makes a big impact on their our, our energy usage. Um, but, you know, I did want to address something because something that you said reminded me of an anecdote that I heard and, and have a personal experience with back in 2005. Back in 2005, I was uh, fresh off of, a, of a sort of an Olympic success and I was training really hard for our world championships, which are, I think they were in Croatia in 2005. And throughout that summer, there were, I think, 41 smog days, uh, which was a record. Uh, that meant that the air was unsafe to breathe um, 41 days out of 365, which is, I think we can all agree, way too many. That's 10% of the year being uh, unsafe to be outside. Um, so I actually had to leave Canada that summer and train somewhere else. So... Uh, that I could, you know, rely on the basic necessity of oxygen and endurance sport uh, to get my job done. Now, the Liberal uh, Provincial Party, the Provincial Liberals at the time, ran on a promise to close all the coal-fired power plants uh, in the next election, and they did that. And the air quality index in southwestern Ontario has changed so dramatically for the better that since then, since 2005, in the last 16 years, there's been fewer than 41 cumulative smog days. I think there's only actually been like 10 or, or 12 smog days in this province since then, which is a remarkable achievement. And it's really, it really is an indicator that elections matter and promises matter. And one of the promises that I'm really proud of in our platform with respect to um, a greener and a cleaner future is the home energy audit program where people can apply to the federal government to get a grant to uh, improve the uh, the quality of their windows, their doors, uh, to make sure that they're not drafty, to make sure their home's efficient, and to make sure that they're not wasting energy because buildings are actually, we, we don't necessarily all think of buildings as large emitters. You know, we think of our vehicles as large emitters, but both our vehicles and our homes present opportunities for cutting emissions and for a greener, greener and a cleaner future. Um, so not only are we looking to build more EV charging stations, subsidize the purchase of electric vehicles uh, and ensure that uh, they're built here in Canada. And I'm proud that since we're talking on the 905er, many of those Fords will be built in Oakville and provide great green jobs for for many of my local residents. Um, But we're addressing the problem at the source and ensuring that Canadians can make the choices um, that they want to make with respect to the, the home that they live in and the car that they drive and the travel that they do in a green and clean way. With really the federal government, uh, one of the things that seems to have happened, and to a extent this has been happening during COVID, uh, and also with, with most obviously perhaps with the uh, with the carbon uh, with the carbon tax, basically only applying to those provinces that don't have uh, one in place themselves. Uh, are we seeing the federal government have to, uh, well, is it either overstepping the mark or is it a matter of that the federal government stepping in to do things that the provinces aren't doing, which actually just encourages the provinces to say, hey, we don't want to pay for this. We'll just wait until the feds cough up. Uh, I mean, is this a problem 
that that kind of needs to be addressed that because we have this kind of uh, kind of foggy relationship between between uh, the federal and provincial governments in many ways um that you know we're kind of almost fighting over who gets to pay for things or who gets not to pay for things well i suppose i'd come back to my earlier point that you need to play the game with the rules intact you can't you know just constantly say that the problem with the game is is the way that the rules are, are structured you know we are a confederation of provinces and territories in canada and there are some jurisdictional challenges that come along with that uh, but there's also some uh, you know there's some challenges but there's certainly some some benefits to that program as well um, and look, carbon pricing is an essential aspect of a of an effective uh, plan to deal with climate change and to address uh, all of the problems that come along with it. But it's not sufficient, and it's not. It's also not the only aspect of our of our greener and, and green, greener and cleaner uh, Canada plan going forward. You know, not only are we cutting pollution and in addressing carbon emissions, we're also creating green jobs, and you know, which will over time reduce our reliance on fossil fuels and and carbon intensive. Uh, technologies and practices, uh, but it'll also improve the economy because time and time again, the prime minister has said that if you don't have a plan to address climate change, then you don't have a plan for the economy and vice versa. I've already addressed the, the plan to protect nature. And a lot of people, when they think about climate change, you know, they think about the rainforest and polar bears and glaciers caving off into the ocean. Um, and that's just, that's a, that kind of framing of it puts climate change very far away from us here in, in Milton, Ontario. And it's important to recognize that climate change not only happens here with our carbon emissions, but it also impacts us here. Things like, you know, what we experienced this past week with uh, a torrential downpour. Uh, three of my friends, uh, you know, mentioned to me that their roofs were leaking uh, because of the amount of rain that fell on, uh, on Milton uh, over the course of 24 hours. I think somebody told me that was an average monthly rainfall all in 24 hours, which is an example of extreme weather. Um, so we have an adaptation plan to protect against the impacts of climate change and mitigate some of the impacts because that's important. We can't ignore the fact that our climate is going to change over the coming uh, years and, and decades. So we need to be prepared for that. Uh, but we also need to mitigate uh, and, and demonstrate to countries around the world that you can grow your economy and address climate change at the same time. Because, you know, as conservatives uh, love to point out, uh, Canada is only responsible for 1.5% of global emissions. And they think that's small. You know, 1.5% is actually a lot when you consider that Canada is less than 0.5% of the the global population. So that means that on average, each Canadian has three times the average carbon footprint of a human being in, in the world. And it's because of the decisions that we make. It's some of them that we can't avoid, like, okay, we've got a cold country in the winter and we need to heat our homes. And we've got a hot country in the summer and we need to run air conditioning. A lot of our foods come from far away because it's, you know, you can't grow an avocado in Canada. Um, but it also comes down to choices that we can make that are different than the ones that we do make. The best selling car in Canada is the Ford F-150, uh, which is, you know, just naturally not exactly great on uh, on gas. I know that it's very functional and a lot of my friends drive medium-sized trucks and love them because they can put their bikes in the back and their kids in the back and everything, uh, you know, is very, very good in the winter too. It's safe. Um, but we need to identify ways that we can continue to live our Canadian lives without being so carbon intensive. And, you know, that de-intensification and decarbonization is a process that requires a plan for the economy, for housing, and it requires a plan for the environment. 
And uh, last but not least, um, you know, an, an opportunity to decarbonize even more is to eliminate single-use plastics. Um, as a kayaker, somebody that spent a tremendous amount of time in the water, I can tell you that a lot of that plastic ends up into our waterways and pollutes. But it's also totally unnecessary. It's completely unnecessary to use a straw that you use once and then throw it in the garbage and is around forever because it's made out of, you know, plastic, which is which is hydrocarbons. Um, it's an enormous waste of, you know, what should be considered a very valuable commodity. Uh, plastics shouldn't be disposable. They should be valued. And, you know, if you have something that's plastic, it should be reusable or recyclable, not something that you throw into, into the trash. Um, Canada's blessed with a, a great pulp and paper industry. And virtually everything that we use that is single-use plastics can be made out of paper or, or, or some uh, renewable product that can compost very, very quickly. And when those products end up in our lakes and rivers, uh, they don't pollute, they decompose and they, they turn into compost. So um, these are the types of solutions that are that are in our platform that I'm, I'm very, very proud of. And they're also unique. They're unique offerings because, you know, experts look at the, the environmental platforms of all four parties um, and they recognize that Canada, or sorry, the, the Liberal plan is worth a, an eight out of 10. So, you know, room for improvement. And certainly when I get back up to Ottawa and we're in government, uh, I would try to at least score an A plus. I'm, I'm an ambitious person, so hopefully we can change that to address some of the concerns that top environmentalists and paleoclimatologists have. Um, but they also say that the Conservatives are at a failing grade of five out of ten, and that the NDP are a shocking two out of ten uh, because they don't have a plan to strike a balance uh, and make sure that we still have an economy as we address climate change. Because you know, if we plunge 20 million Canadians into poverty as a result of uh, of fighting climate change, then that's not exactly uh, an effective plan either. There was something you, you mentioned at the start, start of that. You were talking about, uh, and you, you mentioned it a couple of times, about wanting to, you, you have to play the game with the rules that, that are, 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 are how, how the rules are. And this is a question that's popped up in my circle a number of times, and I, I, I'd be lambasted by my friends if I didn't ask it. Um, and basically, it's, it's why are we playing the game at all right now? There the question that keeps coming up is why are we in an election right now? The sense on the ground in the 905 from people that Roland and I have talked to is that things seemed, from our perspective, things were getting done. COVID aid was getting out the door to small businesses and to people who needed it. The vaccine rollout was by all accounts a success right now. And it seemed that we were getting things done. We now, we're now in an election. And this is something that I, I'm, I personally, I've been a bit, a bit upset about with not just the Liberal Party, but this is the Conservative and the NDP are equally guilty of this. I am, I have not seen a big post COVID nineteen recovery vision of what Canada is going to look like or how we're going to rebuild an economy with the threat of COVID still hanging over our heads for the foreseeable future. Uh, that's a big, that's a big topic. But I'm wondering, can you explain why to our listeners why are we in an election and why is it that COVID nineteen has kind of become a C story of this election? First of all, it shouldn't be a C story. Um, ending the fight against COVID-19 is the top line of our platform. And it is the most important part of our platform. And it's also one that's extremely unique because we are the party that were in government uh, when COVID-19 hit. And we are the party who were in government when we you know, procured all of the vaccines, everything necessary uh, to deal with COVID-19, despite the constant uh, obstruction and naysaying of the, the, the Conservative Party in particular, look, I would say that things were getting done in Parliament despite a lot of obstruction and despite a very toxic environment, not because of it. And what this country needs now is four years of certainty. 
not two years of, you know, an election hanging over everybody's head. And, and that's what we had leading into this fall term is, you know, the Conservatives were campaigning away. Uh, O'Toole had already, you know, issued his platform. And, you know, there were every time you guys know what an SO31 is when, when MPs have a minute to talk about issues that are important to their community, every other one was a platform uh, promise from a conservative and just a line out of their, out of their book with uh, the men's health book with, with Mr. O'Toole's, you know, new physique on the cover. Um, And I'm sorry, but like, if that's not campaigning, then I don't know what is. My opponent has been knocking on doors in Milton for the last six months. So if they're not signaling that they want an election through these actions and many others, including 12 non-confidence votes over the last, like, you know, four months, then what is, you know, they were relishing in the opportunity to just to say, oh, Mr. Trudeau, you called an election that nobody wants. This is an election that we need because Canada desperately needs four years of certainty with a majority government full of progressive people that believe in vaccination, that believe in climate change, that believe in truth and reconciliation, and believe in, in investing in the middle class for a better future through initiatives like a national child care policy, uh, a plan for seniors that doesn't leave anybody behind, you know, the first increases in OAS and GIS since 1973, and an environmental plan that experts agree on our uh, plan is by far head and shoulders above the rest. So in a minority government, an election can happen at any time. And for those who are saying, you know, things were really getting done in Parliament, man, you guys are really you know, getting getting stuff done for Canadians. Some of those emergency bills that we were passing, um, you know, that, that didn't receive like that much debate because they just needed to get out immediately. And there's no party in Canada that would stand up against an emergency uh, measure that was there just to support Canadians. So that kind of stuff happened, but we still had the Conservatives, you know, raising bills to talk about reopening the abortion debate. And they all voted against Bill C-6, which is a bill to protect LGBTQ2S plus kids from the harmful practices of conversion practices. Uh, I won't call it therapy because it's not, it's torture. Uh, And, you know, more than half of Conservatives voted to not ban that practice. More than half of Conservatives voted to reopen the abortion debate uh, with, with a you know, a horrendous private motions, uh, private members bill. Um, Look, these types of conversations are done. Yeah, climate change exists. Yeah, vaccines are effective. Yeah, LGBTQ2S plus kids deserve the same mental health uh, supports and dignity as the rest of Canadians. The number of times I heard a conservative stand up in the House of Commons and, and address the very, very important issue of mental health for Canadians and then weeks later saw them vote against a bill to ban conversion therapy, what dawned on me is those conservatives don't believe in mental health services for every Canadian. Not, you know, because what, what are they saying when they're voting to, to allow conversion therapy to continue in Canada and then also say that we need better mental health services? Conversion therapy results in something like a seven or nine, seven to nine times increase in attempted suicide amongst LGBTQ2S plus you, um, and they're voting for it. So this was the type of toxic environment. Look, like I spent 55 hours in the Indigenous and Northern Affairs Committee debating whether or not the United Nations Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous People Act should be passed. And obviously, as we heard from Indigenous leaders and, you know, the presidents of, of ITK, Inuit Tapari Kanatami, and uh, the First Nations Assembly, and, and the Métis Nation, uh, that this was absolutely a number one priority. 
and the conservative obstructed and obstructed it and obstructed it. And eventually they all voted against it en masse. They voted against basic human rights for indigenous people. So, and so just all of that time, in. if I could finish, all of that time could have been spent dealing with the pandemic and all of that time could have been spent addressing climate change and taking real action on truth and reconciliation. So I disagree that it was a really productive period of time in the House of Commons. It was it was tumultuous and it was toxic. And what Canada needs now is four years of certainty going forward. So, I mean, I mean, I, I you know, many of those points we're certainly familiar with. Uh, but that, that raises the point of, you know, in our the way our parliaments work, there are, there are two things you can do. You can call an election or you can go to one of the opposition parties and say, hey, what can we do to work something out here? And it doesn't have to be a coalition. It doesn't have to be, you know, there are all forms. Uh, you know, I was tweeting the other day about an uh, election that happened in Scotland recently, and that, that government um, fell short of majority by one seat. One seat. Now, here, no one would ever dream of doing any kind of deal over one seat. There, they went out and they spoke to the Green Party and they said, hey, what can we do? It doesn't have to be a coalition. We just want some kind of understanding so that, uh, you know, you get something which is, you know, a minister, something like that. Uh, we get something which is a guarantee that we can get through four years um, uh, with, you know, our platform um, and deliver that kind of stability that you're talking about. Now, why couldn't you do that with with, say, uh, Jagmeet Singh, who you may disagree about many things, but we know there's a whole bunch of things you do agree about. All right, maybe you could have gone to him and said, look, we'll give you electoral reform. Uh, and in return, we get X, Y, Z. So that, that's the other option. Why, why is it that there's never any exploration of, of that other route towards a stable government? Can I ask, I'm not familiar with the, with the electoral system in Scotland. How many distinct parties are there? Uh, there's about the same as there are as there are in Canada right now. I would but are, say are you including the PPC and the Greens in that? Because in other countries, like the Green Party actually elects MPs, and yeah. like we we just had the most ever with three and then two. So yeah, I mean, sure. Is this is it is it a party that elects? I imagine there's probably a couple of Greens in Parliament in uh, yeah. in Scotland. Yeah, yeah. And there's, there's, so I mean, there's, really, really, there's four parties in Canada, right? And and I mean, the Greens and the Bloc are are special in various ways in the sense that you know the greens elect very few people um and the bloc are only representing one province um but I'll, I'll give you the honest answer i mean it's not my job to determine when we have elections it's my job to win them and i'm happy to spend the last six weeks of my summer reconnecting with my neighbors uh, when it became safe to and ask them for their confidence so that i can go back to ottawa for four years and keep working for them and you know a lot of people are like, oh, an election, this that's terrible. Like, I'm sorry, do you have to knock on 100,000 doors? All you really have to go and do is vote. Like, voting's not very hard. Uh, <laughs> you know, you might have to listen to a debate or two. But we're talking about the progress of our country here. And, you know, the opposition parties want an election. They can't say that they don't want an election. They wanted one. They just wanted one at a time where, you know, they could win more seats. And in August, it was a time when polls, you know, indicated that it wasn't a time when the NDP or the Conservatives would win more seats. And we'll see in, in 11 or 12 days uh, if that's still true. But I'm hoping that we can go back to Ottawa with four years of certainty so that we can get things done without having to debate, you know, old ideas that don't require, you know, don't don't necessitate our our. our 55 hours of debate again, right? Like, I think it's important that we pass these important bills expediently because as you guys are well aware, government is agonizingly slow. And as an athlete to try to go as fast as possible for 20 years, I want to see the most important legislation get done as quickly as possible for Canadians. Well, we all, we all definitely want to see 
progress being done as soon as possible uh, at, at all levels. Uh, the the question but on my mind though is you're talking about you want a, ma- a majority and everybody wants majority majority, but right now the polls are indicating no party has the support of enough Canadians to form a majority. It looks like we're going back to another minority government. Uh, how prepared are you to work with that minority government, however it turns out to be structured, uh, to to carry on ca- carry on with the the business of the people? Hundred percent. I'm hundred percent prepared to get back up to Ottawa and work in any context for the benefit of my neighbors here in Milton and for Canadians from coast to coast to coast. That's my job. And you know, I can't uh, determine the outcome um, from ten days out. I don't think anybody can. Um, polls are kind of irrelevant to me. Um, I, I'll be honest. I mean, I, I pay attention to them, obviously, uh, but it's sort of like looking at the weather in another country. It doesn't really impact you on that day whatsoever. The answer, if you're ahead in the polls, is uh, go knock doors. And the answer, if you're behind in polls, is go knock doors. So I'm just going to keep knocking doors and keep asking for the confidence of my neighbors to go back up to Ottawa and keep working for them. Uh, like I said, it's not my job to determine when elections happen. It's my job to win them. And uh, that's what I'm focused on now. Um yeah, and I'm enjoying it. It's uh, elections are tough, particularly for candidates and volunteers. Um, but I, uh, I am grateful for the opportunity to uh, re-earn the confidence of my electorate. Uh, one thing I know about elections is, is well, compared with with, with kayaking on the uh, on uh, a six mile a six mile creek, isn't it? The, the, the sixteen mile. Sixteen mile. I knew there was a six in there somewhere. Compared with that, uh, not quite the same kind of exercise, but it's a great way to lose weight. I'm sure I know you don't need to, but um, <laughs> but I, I, we, I had my COVID nineteen uh, in terms of like I called it the COVID nineteen pounds uh, <laughs> yeah, between, between, between sure. the campaign between yeah. the campaign in 2019 uh, and and the height of pandemic when we were you know mostly ordering craft beer through Canada Post to sit at home and watch Netflix and do our work on Zoom. Uh, I gained 19 pounds and, wow. you know, that, that, that might not, it's not, it's not a lot maybe, but it was over a very short period of time. And it, it, it was depressing for me, to be honest, like it was hard to not have the opportunity to go and exercise with my friends and to get out on the water and, uh, or the motivation. Cause it was just a tough time uh, socially and mentally for so many people and psychologically, certainly. Um, but I have been feeling a little bit more, uh, you know, motivated getting out and talking to people. That's what the sport of politics is all about it's about connecting with people so i don't think anything bad can come from getting out and knocking on doors and talking to my neighbors and i've been enjoying the last i've been enjoying the last uh, three weeks or four weeks or so it's been fun i think we've got time for just like one last small question and we appreciate so much time you, you've given to us today but uh, i think it would be wrong of us not not to address the 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 uh the first nations uh, uh side of the story uh, uh, which has been so important this year um and um you know there, there's a lot of good talk from all the parties and I, i've been through all the all the platforms kind of comparing and contrasting and it's good talk but how i mean we we've had a couple of episodes speaking to to uh two first nations uh journalists uh carl dockstadter and sean vanderclees and and the theme that comes through from them is this this uh theme of nation to nation communication um that uh for instance, in Caledonia, I know that's primarily a provincial issue, but taking the Caledonia dispute, uh, um, they wanted someone senior to come and sit down and talk nation to nation. You know, we use the fir- the word First Nations. 
uh, First Nations people never signed anything that said we're Canadians now and we are the same as everybody else. Uh, that's in fact what the entire uh, school, uh, uh, residential school issue is about. How, how do we show, how do, how do we transform that relationship in a way that puts it on a more mature level where it's not a matter of, okay, what are we going to do to stop these First Nations people kind of complaining? Uh, wh- how are we going to take it to that nation, genuinely nation to nation level of conversation? And, and does that mean, you know, literally someone like the actual prime minister being involved intimately with these with these issues and treating it like you would any other nation to nation conversation yeah I, I i agree that it is a is a huge priority and it's uh it's it's one of the reasons why i'm proud of the fact that one of our platform sections is all about our relationship with indigenous people in this country and i, I did spend the last uh the last two years on the indigenous and northern affairs committee with uh, incredible mps from all parties and and got to uh to work on a historic piece of of legislation in the United Nations Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous People Act, and and I'm grateful that we passed it, um, just despite some some parties voting against it. Um, but our our platform on uh, Indigenous Truth and Reconciliation has four parts. Um, you know, the most glaring and the one that I get the question about most is clean water for Indigenous communities. And, um, you know, it's hard to talk about progress when there's still so much work to be done. But it is also important to recognize progress when it's been done so that you know how to keep moving forward. And, you know, when, when the Liberal government was elected in 2015, Clean water for Indigenous communities was, wasn't even on the radar of Stephen Harper and the Conservative Party. Uh, neither was missing and murdered Indigenous women. It was not even an afterthought. Uh, it, it, you know, it didn't even come close to being on their agenda. Um, and despite that, in the last six years, the, the Liberal Party, um, well, the Government of Canada, uh, has lifted 109 of the boil water advisories across country. And like I said, there's 105 in 2015. So if the numbers don't work out, it's because that infrastructure has been neglected for decades and decades by successive Liberal and Conservative governments. Uh, so clean water for Indigenous communities remains a, a top priority. And it is uh, one quarter of our platform on Indigenous truth and reconciliation. Um, you know, progress has been made. And, and I, I refute, you know, any assertion that, um, that it, it, it could have gone faster or we should have, you know, done more sooner uh, because $4 billion has been invested in, you know, some 500 water projects across the country. And uh, I think it's 68% of them have been lifted and a further 20% are uh, the clean water is coming out of the top. They just haven't been able to lift the, 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 um, the, uh, the boil water advisory for testing reasons. Um, so that's, that's significant progress and it'll continue to go forward. And it's really, really important that we continue to, to make, um, make that a reality for every single indigenous community across Canada. Um, but, you know, on that same point, we've also got to ensure that, that we continue to address the the horrible legacy of the residential school system and colonialism in this country. There's intergenerational trauma, which is being experienced uh, by people of Indigenous um, communities from coast to coast to coast. And, you know, we can't ignore the fact that that was a, that was a I, I hesitate to say dark chapter because it's, it's an ongoing cultural genocide that is perpetrated by the federal government and the agencies um, within it. Uh, and that, that is, an, again, another part of our platform that I'm firmly committed to. And, you know, part of that is also um, protecting the well-being of Indigenous children. I think we can see when you look into um, better outcomes for Indigenous children, 
more self-determination is is the best path forward, making sure that communities have the capacity to run their own education systems, to run their own policing systems, uh, to, to you know, provide culturally appropriate health care, and to ensure that the resources are available for communities to be uh, autonomous and, and self-governing. That's, uh, that's critical. Now, your question was about nation-to-nation conversations. And as a member of that committee, the true, the, sorry, the, um, the Indigenous Northern Affairs Committee, we had uh, former uh, former First Nation Assembly of First Nations um, uh, chief uh, Perry Belgard, and we had the, the presidents of ITK, which uh, is Natan Obed, and the president of the Métis Nation as well present numerous times to the to the committee. And I know that uh, those leaders also have a forum with the prime minister, as well as a forum with the minister of Indigenous uh, services and the, the minister of Crown Indigenous relations. Uh, so I believe that those conversations are happening uh, and, you know, increased dialogue and more dialogue, more active listening and more um, action coming out of these conversations is really, really important because what I recognized more than anything else after my time on the Indigenous Northern Affairs Committee is that Canada's Indigenous population is as diverse as the whole rest of Canada. Uh, you know, and the the issues, problems, uh, preoccupations, perspectives, and insights of of all of the nations and all the people uh, within it are important to take into consideration when when walking forward on the path of truth and reconciliation and planning the future of this country. And oh. um, and and it's a priority. It's certainly a priority for me here on the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee and the Anishinaabek, the Huron-Wendat and the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. Uh, I know that I've got work here to, to do in Halton, um, but it's also a priority for me as we improve outcomes for Indigenous people from coast to coast to coast as well. Well, I think we're going to have to leave it on on that note for uh, this week's episode. Um, but we want to thank you, Adam, for taking the time out of your, uh, your busy campaign. Uh, we're recording this on the night of the English uh, debate, so I'm sure you're going to want to... Uh, Hop off and probably go to a, a campaign function or, or something to uh, to watch on uh, on the on the TV or, or whatever have you. But thank you very much for taking the time to answer our questions and uh, uh, good luck on the on the campaign trail. Oh, thanks, Joel, and thanks, Roland. I really appreciate the opportunity to chat. Right, all the very best. Thanks. That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time.
I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.